a very special No Bucks Given. Dre, do you know why it's a very special episode today? I'll tell you. Yeah, I'll tell you. It's It's fucking 420 early. Yeah, it may (laughs) as well be. It's the first day of Hispanic Heritage Month, a month that I wasn't entirely sure of its existence until Shea Serrano was tweeting about it today. Um, and in celebration, I am, uh, yes, it's 420 early, but at the same time, I'm wearing a Luis Scola Argentina jersey right now, um, oh. really showing the pride. Uh, I've got very many Argentina basketball jerseys, and Luis Scola is one of the prized ones just because of the legend himself, who I think retired from international play after the Olympics this year. But that's it. I'm not going to dwell on that. It's not a Hispanic episode. One of these days, I'm going to do a fully Spanish episode. Maybe I'll get Ignacio Risotto for that or something. But today, there's quite a lot else to cover. Just to let you guys know what's coming up, we're going to start with player news. There's three bits of player news that we're going to do at the top. We're going to move into a debate. That's right. We're still in the offseason. There is not a lot of news, so we're going to do clickbait shit that everyone wants to see. And this is a debate that NBA Twitter has been having for a few days now, so we're going to take our own approach towards it. And then after that, we're going to wrap up with a singular question that NBA Twitter is also talking about and see our own answers of it. That's right. The two people that have limited professional basketball experience in terms of playing it and uh, not a ton of money are going to tell you guys what you should do if you're a five-star recruit out of high school. No bucks given. Let's get into it. Dre, why don't you open us up with some player news? What's the first one you want to talk about? Well, first off, um, John Wall has been in the news recently. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, it seems like he had a sit down with the Rockets front office and they both are agreeing to part ways and possibly land him to a next destination. The only problem is that John Wall is guaranteed, I think, 91, 92 million over mm-hmm. the next five years. So with him being in his, I want to say early 30s. Yeah. And for him to be guaranteed that much money, considering, you know, the circumstance of him coming off of an Achilles injury and missing damn near a whole year. Off yeah, that's years. right before he got to the Rockets. And then even this year, you know, he missed he missed a good amount of time as well. So the question is, where does John Wall land next? Mm-hmm. That's the question I saw. Uh, shout out to my guy, Brandon, wrote, a, uh, wrote an incredible article on um, Sir John Charge. He said, um, he said that there's possible chances of him going to OPC. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he said Philadelphia as well. And then I think he said another team. I can't remember the top of my head. I'll have to go back and read it. But me and you were talking yesterday, and I said – could the Clippers possibly use John Wall? Now, like mm-hmm. I said, John Wall is coming off some major injuries. Right. But this, but this past season with the Rockets, he showed some flashes of his old self and also, you know, kind of a more improved perimeter shot. I'm not going to say it's really consistent, but very improved jump shooter, per se, compared to, like, you know, the past few years. So I think a Clippers, a Clipper team who is going to be without Kawhi, and they definitely have a lot of veterans on that team. I think Wall will fit there mm-hmm. very well. Or does Wall go to a young team that is on the rise, like a OKC? I don't know. I don't. I don't know. Honestly, it's it's tough. Yeah, it's always tough. The one thing that everyone needs to stop doing is having these these mock trades and putting picks in there. I know one of the ones that I sent you had a first round pick, but here's the thing: two years ago, Chris Paul in a very similar situation, two years, eighty something or low ninety something, uh, guarantee on his contract, he only got. OKC only got Ricky Rubio and Kelly Oubre, two solid veterans, but they're not getting you superstars in a trade and a protected first round pick. 
And that was Chris Paul coming off. I don't know if he was all NBA or close to all NBA that one year he was in OKC. At worst, he was close to all NBA. And he only got that. All right. And John Wall did not have that kind of season last season. And he is uh, owed just as much money. You're right. It's low 90s at two years left. So that's 40 something each every year. And um, he hasn't been on a team besides Washington. Like I, I know Houston, he was there for like 40 games, but beyond that, nothing. No one's really seen different versions of John Wall. We don't know if they can, if he can fit with another scheme. So is he going to get traded? Yeah, probably because he wants to get traded. Houston wants to trade him. It's a, I, I like that they mutually came to that decision without any dust-ups, but he's not going to get you guys a pick. He's not going to get anything. If anything, it's going to be another, it's going to be three or four bad salaries put together in a match John Walls. And that's what happens. Um, but yeah, we'll see. I mean, is the buyout really like not going to happen? Like, so we see that happen or not? I don't think so. I mean, at two years, 91, either he gives back one full year, like 40 something, or Houston is paying him 45 or paying him $90 million to play somewhere else for two years. They're not going to do that. And John Wall is not going to give up more than like 5 million in a buyout. I really don't see it happening. Maybe if there's no trade by the trade deadline and at the trade deadline passes, maybe then they buy him out then. Um, where there's less, I mean, they already paid him for most. Oh, that's of my thing. Like, I mean, like, not to cut you off, but like, I'm, no, I'm also thinking about um, how Blake Griffin got out of his situation with Detroit because his contract was pretty crazy too. Yeah, that's true. So, you know, could that possibly happen for Wall? I mean, because honestly, I mean, I don't, I don't know if a team wants to make that risk and trade a guy of that caliber who is who has dealt with many injuries mm-hmm. and you're paying him ninety something million dollars over the next right. few years. I, I just it's, it's kind of it's kind of hard to imagine. Like even though I mean we yeah. did discuss like, Walk can still play at a high level. I don't think there's no debate about that, but looking at his injury history and everything that's kind of went on with him for the past few years, do does any like like both teams, whether it's a rebuilding team or a contending or a contending team, do they want to make that risk? Right. Yeah, I don't I agree with you. I don't think anyone will. Um it's either going to be a team like OKC and somehow they get um an asset for it, you know, because in that trade, they're not going to take a terrible asset or they're going to take a, not going to take a terrible contract from a team that they're directly competing with. Houston and OKC are essentially trying to do the same thing in the same conference right now. They're not going to help each other out for, for no reason. You know, I mean, yes, OKC did trade the pick that became Alperun Shengun to the Houston Rockets in the draft this year, but it took two future first from Houston to get that pick. It was like the number 18th or 20th pick. It wasn't yeah. a big pick. So they're not doing it to help each other out. So in that situation, Houston has to give up an asset. Do they want to do that? I don't know. Do they want to give up another asset to OKC? I don't know. Either that or it's going to be a team like the Clippers or Philadelphia that's already past the cap where money doesn't exist anymore. It doesn't matter so anymore. Think, okay, like, so, let's, so let's come up with a scenario with the Clippers. Who do you see go? Do you see Reggie Jackson heading out? Do you possibly um, see um, Zubogs or maybe? So it's going to take three contracts because I've ran the math on the on the trade machine a couple of times. It's going okay. to take at least Bledsoe and at least um, Luke Kennard. Uh, Bledsoe's at 18 and Kennard's at 12. After that, you need 5.6 million more to complete a trade to get John Wall. The issue is they have no one under like 9.7. So you have to trade another rotation guy. Either you trade Reggie Jackson at 12 million 
or Serge Ibaka at nine. You can trade Ivica Zubats at like 8.7 if you want to. I wouldn't trade one of your only young assets that's in the starting lineup already for John Wall, but you could do that. So one of those three. Let's not forget either. I mean, Reggie Jackson was inserted into the starting lineup last year in the postseason. Exactly. emerged tremendously. Right. So in that situation, I'd probably keep Reggie Jackson as either the guy off the bench, or you can try and pair him with John Wall. They've both got some size to him and trade Ibaka and leave yourself a little bit a little bit weakened up front you can bring back to Marcus Cousins I don't think anybody signed him so he could be I don't think he's a, a 20 minute a night guy anymore but he could be someone you could bring back that's familiar beyond that there's not a ton of centers out there you already missed your chance at DeAndre Jordan Marcus all is going to retire um it's worrying um if they do that, I mean, at the same time, though, Ibaka wasn't available for any of the season last year, and that's why they signed Marcus Cousins in the first place. So it's not oh, like it's not like Ibaka has any any uh, like good memories in a Clippers uniform because so they can trade him pretty easily, which sucks because when they signed him, it was actually my favorite big man signing in the Western Conference. I didn't care about Montrez Harrell or Marcus Saul and the Lakers. That could have helped him get to the finals, to be honest. I thought it would. I thought I thought they were the favorites if they had even Kawhi, but with Ibaka, they wouldn't. They if they had uh, Ibaka, they would have beaten Utah in, in fewer games. They would have beaten Phil, uh, Phoenix not easily, but they would have stopped DeAndre Ayton fucking demolishing everyone you know i mean ibaka is the perfect center for that and then you know if they got to the finals if they were all healthy you know we're not saying that you know it's that fucking conversation again but yeah they would have been my finals pick um let's move on to the next bit of news john wall's on the move we don't know where let's do frank nilakina let's skip the Kyrie thing I, i'm we understand we all knew that about Kyrie. it's fine i like Kyrie. the media is always trying to give him shit let's talk about frank nilakina going to the dallas mavericks i have some observations about this but i want to hear what you've got first i'm happy yeah i'm happy that um that frank nilakina is finally getting an opportunity right. an opportunity to reinvent himself because you know th- these past three years that he's been in new york it's just been kind of brutal for him you know the new york the, like the fans hate him you know and you know i think i think he, i think he was just placed in a situation that he didn't deserve so i think now going to dallas that these help significantly and honestly, I mean, Frank Nielakina is a really good player. Honestly, he's a mm. really good defender. He's a yeah. great slasher, everything all the above. So he's a pretty good player who can produce, but he just has to be put in the right position. You know, it was unfortunate last year or, or this past season, you know, watching game one against the Hawks where Tom Silver yeah. yeah, last possession guarded Trey Young, probably only played like 20 seconds in the game. And now you're asking him to go guard Trey Young. And right. then, you know, we all yeah, know there, what happened. He, he hadn't played at all before that. He put him in only for that last possession. Exactly. So uh, that, so like I said, I mean, just being placed in those type of situations just sucked for him. So maybe, maybe, maybe there could be a new, a different right. side for him. You know, being under Jason Kidd, playing alongside Luka Doncic, Porzingis, and the rest of those guys. So you just never know. Like, I don't understand how Nilakina made it this far. Yeah, he, what was he picked? Number six in the draft. Um, uh, I believe so. Yeah, a few years ago. I understand he never delivered on that, but he plays top-tier defense. And, Mm -hmm. yes, he's got no offensive skill right now, but neither did – I mean, you know, remember Michael Carter-Williams when he couldn't do shit but pass and defend? He was the the first version of Ben Simmons. Michael Carter-Williams is only in the league right now. I don't know if you knew he was in the league for the past few years, but he's been on the Magic for, like, three seasons, and he gets minutes because he plays – yeah, he does. He 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 actually he, I mean, he's not great, obviously, but he's still he's like their backup point guard. 
Um, and the reason he gets minutes is he plays defense and he's tall and he plays defense on fast guards that score. And that's why he has a job in the NBA. Why doesn't Frank Nilekina have a job? Why did Andre Robertson have a job for three years in the NBA and not Frank Nilekina? Why the hell is um, Dante Exum getting signed instead of Frank Nilekina? Why? I'm so why... glad you brought up Robertson because I have been getting slack for him for like the past two to three years because everybody's like Robertson's a great player. Robertson's a great player. Yeah. He's great. He's a great defender. Yeah. But if you ask him to fucking shoot the ball, then you know your chances are very low because that man can't shoot for shit. But yeah, the thing with Robertson is, you know, those memes of Draymond Green, you know, backpack. yeah, backpack, but also fucking up layups whenever, like, you know, yeah, in, in important situations. Andre Robertson did those highlights every single game, every game he missed an open layup, like every mm-hmm. single he, he just couldn't, you know, fantastic defender. And honestly, when you're on a team with Russell Westbrook and Kevin Durant, he didn't need to shoot for any fucking means. Sure. But yeah, these guys deserve a shot because they're going to develop, you know? It really sucks seeing Nilekina be healthy for the first time in his career and Thibodeau just straight up not playing him. And he's a Thibodeau player. He's a hard-nosed defender that can't play offense. Is that not the perfect Tom Thibodeau player? This is a guy that played, um, like, four terrible backup point guards in Chicago in a row, and all of them were good. He, he gave Kirk Heinrich, mm-hmm. who wouldn't have been the in the league. Jay um, Watson, a lot yeah. of those guys. John Lucas the third. Oh, yeah. Aaron Brooks, these one-dimensional point guards. I, 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 he played Alfred Payton. No, that's why. That's why he didn't get minutes because of fucking Alfred Payton. Uh, Alfred Payton over Frank Nilekina. And Nilekina, in my opinion, is the far superior player. Now, there's two things to think about in terms of why the Mavericks did this. The first one is, and I know you've seen this, the two-minute clip of Nilekina guarding Luka for an entire game. That was two seasons ago, New York versus Dallas. People tweet it out all the time because everyone knows it's probably the best full game dominance of a player defensively on Luka Doncic, which does not happen uh, very often. We just saw him go for like 40 a game against Kawhi Leonard and Paul George every game. Okay. Not that Nilekina is up there, but it showed that he has the potential to do that on some nights. And I, I think it was PD. I think PD Webb uh, tweeted, Luca remembered when they signed him because Luca probably did remember and he gave him a call. The second thing is, do you remember a player by the name of DeAndre Liggins? Yes, I remember. A a guy who played okay defense and was garbage on offense. Yeah, oh, yeah. that's the guy that Jason Kidd signed when he was in Milwaukee and gave him starters minutes for a whole season despite him being terrible. It was Alfred Payton before Alfred Payton. So when I tell you that Jason Kidd signed a guy that can only play defense and can't play any offense, you're going to say DeAndre Liggins. No, the answer is Frank Nilekina because he continues to do the damn thing. If this wasn't Jason Kidd, I would love the signing because I love Nilekina. But here's the one thing that I will say. That does guarantee that Nilekina is going to get minutes. Jason Kidd plays those dudes. And they don't really have a ton of point cards on that team beyond Jalen Brunson. So I think he's going to get minutes. He might start for this Dallas Mavericks with Jason Kidd in town. I can see it happening. Yeah. I can definitely see it happening. But, you know, it, it just it just makes me, like, think about New York, like, and, you know, the transition, you know, from, you know, getting Leon Rose and the rest of those guys in the front office. Because yeah. in the past years, there was a lot of guys that they drafted that was just not meant for that, for the for the bright lights in New York. Like, right. you know, is one of them. Kevin Knox, I don't even know how he's still even on the roster, to be right. honest. So it's like, you know, I, I'm finally happy that, you know, a lot of these guys, and, I, and you know, I, I'm, I'm honestly, I'm rooting for Frank. I'm rooting for him to, too. you know, possibly reinvent himself in Dallas and possibly, you know, get his career back on the right track. Because, you know, I think, I think his years, I think his years in New York were just, you know, kind of a, kind of a waste of time. 
Yeah, no, I agree. I'm excited for him. Um, let's move on quick. That's the end of the player news. Let's do really quick. Couple of thoughts. How's your week been? How are you, Jay? What's your mental health like? I am doing fantastic, honestly, man. It's raining. It's raining like shit. Like, oh my god, I was in traffic earlier <laughs> and I I couldn't see the road for shit. But you know, luckily I'm safe and everything. But you know, besides that, I'm doing good, man. Um, Passing the Roses is out now. Or you know, I started the series Passing the Roses. Yeah. Um, last week, you know, three articles out so far. I have five more to go. I can't even really <laughs> remember the back of my head, but. But yeah, I mean, right now, you know, I definitely appreciate the reception that it's gotten. You know, everybody seems to enjoy it, and you know, I just want to keep going. Yeah, yeah, check out that series um, if you're out there. We're usually retweeting those articles, and we'll make sure to take a look back and retweet anything that we've missed after this episode. Um, also, the ep- uh, the article we mentioned before, the trades to John Wall, that is also retweeted on the No Bucks Given Twitter account. If you guys want to give that a read, three destinations, three trade ideas, that's at underscore No Bucks Given if you want to check out that article. Shout out to Brandon. Yes, big shout out to Brandon for that one. I am doing fine. Um, I had a great weekend. I was in Milwaukee for the weekend, flew back. Uh, I went to a, a Chappelle show. You know a fucking lot, man. I yeah, I do. That. Yeah, I do. I, I got friends that like to travel and they motivate me too. I'm really happy about it. Um, it does mean I spend a whole lot of fucking money though. Um, so I was in Milwaukee for the weekend. I saw a Chappelle show on Saturday night at Summerfest, one of the bigger crowds that I've seen for a comedy show. Obviously, it's kind of scary uh, COVID wise, but Chappelle was great. Closest thing to a comedy rock star that I'm ever going to see like in person, I think. Uh, and everyone got free Chappelle masks with like the C that he wears. So that's pretty sick. Um, had fun. And then this week has just been work pretty much. I'm picking up a dining table for my apartment after this episode. So I'm excited to do that. Yeah. We're, we're getting real close to having that place finished and I'm excited about it. That's pretty much it. Quick mental health check. Hey, uh, hey, on. I mean, before, before you mention, I mean, just, I mean, just you mentioning your uh, Chappelle um, show that you attended this past weekend, maybe I, I honestly forgot that I went to the club this weekend, you know, definitely had a good time, had a really great time. But the crazy thing was, you know, there was probably like 500, 600 people in there. <laughs> and there was only one person wearing a mask. Guess who that person was? You. It was me. It was you. <laughs> so every, everybody's looking at me. I'm like, everybody's looking at me like, what the fuck is wrong with this guy? And I'm like, dude, <laughs> I'm not trying to fucking catch COVID. Everybody's like fucking, everybody's literally close to each other. Like everybody's literally touching shoulder to shoulder. I'm not trying to get enough from y'all. But besides you, that, I, I had a really good time. You going to the Miami clubs now or what? Man, I need to, man. I need to go out there, man. Super, I heard Super Bowl weekend is crazy. Oh, shit. I am sure about it. Yeah, Florida gets crazy. Um, Definitely. And, yeah, masked up in the club. That's fucking hilarious. I love that. That's such a good visual, just being the only person. Um, it's crazy, too. <laughs> it's like, I mean, I mean, the thing about it is, like, you know, I'm not, I'm not single. I've been with my lady for almost five years now. So, yeah. I was, obviously, I'm not even looking for anybody in there. But right, right, right. Like, it's crazy how, like, Females are looking at me and they're like, the fuck? Like, yeah. take that fucking mask off. Like, whatever, man. I don't give a fuck. No, yeah, you don't have to care. Yeah. Miss Delta's yeah. running around, but you're fine. Yeah. You got the mask on in the club. Exactly. Okay. Now, for the main event of tonight's episode, we have prepared a debate. The first time that we're actually going to straight up debate each other. I'm expecting a lot of uh, cursing, and um, I can't wait for that. But NBA Square had been debating it. Clay Thompson or Chris Middleton, who's the better player, who's everything, you know, who's the better winner and all that shit that NBA Twitter likes to pointlessly talk about. And it just so happens that Dre's a Bay fan and he's been watching Clay as long as 
well, longer than anyone on NBA Twitter is a lot of 14-year-olds. And I yeah. am a Bucks fan. And I've been watching Middleton for actually his entire career. I remember his NBA debut, with, or not his NBA debut, his Bucks debut. And I remember his all-star game, his first one. And then we watched him win a title for the first time this year. So we are actually very familiar with these two players that you insist on pitting against each other. And we've prepared some information to debate. Now, let me introduce the one rule and then the format for the debate. The one rule is, just like Chappelle said at the show that I went to this weekend, he said, don't build me up as a comedian by disparaging Kevin Hart because he loves Kevin Hart. So what we're going to do in this debate is you're not allowed to shit talk the other player to make your player look good. Stick to your player. You can debate it. You know, if you want to point out like a bad stat or something, that's fine, but don't be like that dude is trash. Clay Thompson is better. So we're just going to do that. Not that I would expect that from you, but I want to point that out to the people at home. And when you're having these conversations, you don't have to shit on a human being to make another human being look better just because it's sports. All right. We're just talking about the good and everything. Now the categories that we have is a career overview. It's like a bio of what they've done. Stat comparisons. We'll look at some stats, career stats and other stuff, you know, whatever we prepared the best games I've got about five or six of Chris Milton's best games written down. And I know the scenarios for some of them. So I'll explain that playoff success um, and like their stats and how many rings they have accolades, all stars, all NBAs, titles, gold medals, all that shit. And then finally we'll do a verdict, even though I don't think we're going to crown a winner by any means, but we'll have a, an answer, I think. So Clay Thompson, Chris Middleton, Dre, you're a storyteller. You do all of these um, player-centric profiles. You had, uh, you got passing out the roses, then you had forgotten players before that. You, out of anyone, know how to profile a player. So can you give us the career overview of Clay Thompson, a beloved player of the Golden State Warriors? Oh, man. I, I was honestly prepared. I was, I was prepared for you to go first, but I, I don't mind it. So, you know... Clay Thompson, son of Michael Thompson. If, for those who are too young to may not know who Michael Thompson yep. was, Michael Thompson was a player who won championships with the Lakers in the 80s alongside mm-hmm. Magic Johnson, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, right. James Worthy, et cetera. So basketball is in Clay Thompson's DNA. And right. let me just say, before I even really get into um, Clay Thompson, let me just say that I respect Chris Middleton. I love him. Yes. You know, he's, he, he, was, he was deserving of a champion. People were debating that he should have won finals MVP. I disagree. Giannis scoring the <laughs> oh, yeah. 50 points. Giannis scoring 50 points a game, game six really just solidified it. But Chris Middleton is definitely their alpha when it comes down to the last few minutes of the game, and he is their go-to guy. That will get that out. So I'm here, you know, the overview of Clay Thompson, you know, for those. I, I started watching Clay Thompson when he was at Washington State. And let me just say, you know, I'm not surprised to see where he is now as a shooter because he was a sniper even then. See, the thing about it is that, you know, and, you know, just looking back at this, you know, when I was doing my research like a few days ago, I was looking at it and I was like, yo, like Steph, Steph Curry was a really good shooter. But when he went to the, but when he got to the NBA, he became a greater shooter. Like Steph Curry was always a good shooter at Davidson. You know, everybody respected him from the, from the perimeter, but mm-hmm. it wasn't until he got to the NBA where he was like known as like the best shooter in the world. Right. Like Thompson has been a killer from the beginning. Right. Like, you know what I'm saying? Catch and shoot, do whatever, yeah, et cetera, et cetera. Great, um, great on-ball defender, everything. So when he got to the NBA and he gets drafted by Golden State, I'm happy. I'm like, hell yeah. But at the time, we still had Monte Ellis. 
Right. Up the LS, you know, starting alongside Steph Curry. As we all know, that didn't work out. And once once we traded once we traded Monte to Milwaukee, and you know, Clay ends up getting that um, that starting spot at the two guard position. The rest is history. So fast forward, and you know, Clay and Steph are flourishing. Everybody knows about the fifty-two point game against Sacramento in twenty fifteen, where he had thirty-seven in that third quarter. The thing about Clay is that you know, Clay Clay is a quiet dude. He, right. So, you know, he's always going to be overlooked, but whenever Clay gets into that type of zone, he doesn't get out of it. You know, we've seen it on many occasions over and over again. So, and, and that's why I always say, because like people always, you know, want to discredit Clay, but it's like, you know, let's say for instance, Clay leaves the Warriors today and he goes, joins what, like, what, what team is like really garbage right now? There's <laughs> no disrespect. Um, Let's say let's say he joins the Orlando Magic. Yeah, Orlando Magic get to the playoffs. Sure, with Clay Thompson being leading the way. So that's my thing. Like it's unfortunate because you know Clay has always had Steph, KD, Dre. You know all these guys leading the yeah. way that tend to overlook him. But let me just say this, man. Clay Thompson is no joke, particularly in the playoffs. You know because um you know I think everybody can date back to 2016 yeah. Western Conference Finals Game Six. You know the Warriors are down three one after Game Four. They go to uh, they go back to Oracle win Game Five. Game six is on the ropes, and I'm not gonna lie, I was nervous as shit. I was like, oh my god, we're about to be eliminated. We just won 73 fucking games, and we're really about to get eliminated. It's over. But something happened in that game, and we just watched the second man or the second um, option, Clay Thompson, just explode for 41 points, including I want to say 11 three pointers. People can say all they want, you know, Steph did drop 31 that game, but Clay was by far the MVP of that. Match. Yeah. Not debatable. Yeah. So yeah, so definitely, so, so Clay definitely carried his own, and basically put the team on his back whenever he needed to in pressure situations on that occasion. And then of course, you know, the following season, the Warriors get KD, you know, obviously they won a championship, but people also got to remember the 60 points on like, God damn, I can't even remember how many dribbles, like 10, yeah. 11 dribbles, it something was like nothing. that. It was nothing. So, so that, like I said, that's another example of Clay being in that zone and there's no way to stop him. Right. But then also I want to I want to bring up another another situation in the playoffs. This is in 2018. Mm-hmm. This is game 6 against the Houston Rockets. Now, the Warriors just lost game 5 and now they're down 3-2. We go into game 6, the the Rockets get out to like a fucking 25 point lead in the first quarter and I'm thinking in my head it's over. It's a wrap yep. fucking yep. shit. But then it's not KD. It's not Steph Lee in the way. It's Clay. Clay had 35 that game, I want to say. Actually, mm-hmm. I got the stat right in front of me. I don't know why I'm not reading it. <laughs> yeah, he scored 35 that game, 13 of 23 shooting, 9 for 14 from the three-point line, along with six rebounds and two assists. So, I mean, even though Steph had 29 and KD had 23, once again, it's Clay right. that goes the team on his back and sets the tone. And, and as we all know, the Warriors end up winning that series in seven games and they end up sweeping the Cavs going into the 2018 finals. Then you fast forward to 2019 when KD goes down to the playoffs and he's super important. Clay, Clay comes up super important for the Warriors team, which I'm, I'm just going to say here, we didn't have KD, but if we had Clay, if Clay didn't go down in game six, we win the championship. I don't care what anybody says. You can debate that, yada, yada, yada. I know the, I know the Raptors had Kawhi, Siakam, um Ibaka Van Vliet Lowry yes I I understand that I understand they had all these great players 
But we're talking about the Golden State Warriors, a team coming off two championships with with like the greatest backcourt the NBA's ever seen is Steph Curry and Klay Thompson. And Clay was honestly Clay was honestly holding his own because people remember he um he got injured in game two. I think it was like an ankle injury. And yeah. he misses game three. Yep. And then he comes back, you know, we obviously lose game four, but then he but then he also sets the tone and went, helps us win game five. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in game six, we were bound to win that one as well. But then unfortunately yep. Clay goes for a dunk. And then he ends up tearing his ACL. We all know the story that goes on after that. It was a close game, too. Like, there was chances for the Warriors to take that game at the end, too. It was by no means a blowout to win the title. It was a very close game. So, basically, my argument is that, you know, and like I said, no disrespect to Chris Middleton whatsoever, but Clay has shown us on many an occasions time and time again throughout the years yeah. that he can come through whenever yeah. we need him, whether it's, on, whether it's, you know, being able to score on an offensive end or even getting a stop on a defensive end. Clay, Clay Thompson is always – even on many times taking on some of the best players, like, like you know, still, like we've seen Kyrie Irving, we've seen him guard Chris Paul, we've, we've yeah. seen him guard so many players on occasion. So I think that often gets overlooked because he's playing with Steph Curry, he's played with Kevin Durant, he's played with Draymond Green. So like I said, Clay, Clay is the quiet guy. So Clay doesn't really get a lot of that attention that he deserves, but that doesn't take away from his ability to produce on both ends of the floor. Right. So like I said, I'm not, I'm not disrespecting Chris Middleton in no manner. It's just like, in my opinion, Clay has been doing this way longer than Middleton. So, first, as you did, I'm going to do the same. Uh, Nothing against Clay Thompson as a player or a person. He's consistently one of the most liked players in the NBA, which honestly probably led to his moderate overvaluation on Twitter because people like him so much that people are starting to talk about him a little bit. He got a little bit too much dip on a chip. Let's just say that right now, but he's great. And even when the Warriors were a dynasty with, with Kevin Durant and everyone in the world hated the fucking Warriors. I hate the fucking Warriors. It was always Steph's cocky. Fuck Steph. KD went to the Warriors. He already went to the best team. Fuck KD. Draymond's a dick and he kicks dicks. Uh, fuck Draymond. Even, even when I was on that train, and I have appreciation for all those players now, of course, even then I was like, yeah, but I like Clay though. Clay's pretty cool. Um, so I've always liked Clay. He's always been chill. He's always just wanted to hoop and make jokes, and that's it, you know? Um, so big fan. With Middleton, it's a bit of a different. Uh, it's a different route for Chris Middleton than it is Clay Thompson. He is from South Carolina, goes to high school there. I think he was the 99th ranked player in his, in his year, high school-wise. Went to Texas A&M. And then, just like he was underranked in high school, he's underranked in college, and he goes in the second round. 39th overall pick to Detroit. Spends a lot of his rookie season in the D-League, which was still the D-League at the time, not the G-League. Mm-hmm. And at the end of his rookie season, he's traded. He's traded to Milwaukee in the kind of not, I guess not league altering, but definitely like conference altering trade that sent Brandon Knight over to Milwaukee with Chris Middleton and sent Brandon Jennings over to Detroit. Chris Milton was just a tossing. He wasn't supposed to be anything. He ended up being by far the best player in that trade. How much better? Well, two-time All-Star. Remind me of the trade one more time. Like who was who was involved? Brandon Knight, Brandon Knight, Chris Middleton, and a European guy. I don't remember his name, and he never really played in the NBA, so it doesn't matter. We're all sent to Milwaukee 
Brandon Jennings was sent over to Detroit. So Detroit, Brandon yeah. Jennings like was worth some stuff. He was worth more than Brandon Knight and those guys, which was cool. That was the trade. And actually Brandon Knight, uh, Brandon Jennings with, uh, with um, Andre Drummond out there kind of balled out. He had a couple of uh, 2020 games and then he ruptured his Achilles and he never played well again, a really disappointing end to Brandon Jennings career. But just remember, because we always will, the Bucks fans and the Pistons fans will always remember before he ruptured his Achilles, that dude was balling in Detroit. Um, that's the trade that happened in the offseason. Middleton comes in at the same time that a young Giannis Adetokounmpo is drafted. And the team goes 15, 15 wins. Worst team in the league. They go from that to obviously this year winning the title. What's the road like that? Chris Milton, whose top three nicknames on Basketball Reference, by the way, are Cash Money, WD40, and Baby Joe Johnson. I have never heard those nicknames ever. Well, you've heard Cash Money. You'd know Cash Money if you were. I've, I've never even heard that. To be honest, I've watched like I watched like fifty million Milwaukee games over the last like seven eight years. I've never heard that. They spell it with a K H. It's called Cash Money. If you watch Milwaukee basketball, you'd know. Everybody knows Milwaukee is Cash Money. All right. But uh, I've never heard WD40 or Baby Joe Johnson anymore, which is funny, though. Baby Joe Johnson's great. This playoffs, he was Baby Joe Johnson. Um, He makes it, you know, 2017-18 is his first All-Star appearance. The first D-League alum to make the All-Star game. 2018-19 is a second time All-Star. Should have been All-NBA. Should have been an All-Star this year. Imagine giving Jalen Brown an All-Star now instead of Chris Middleton this year. Woof. That's rough. Goes to the playoffs this year. Clutch shot after clutch shot. He's been cleaning clutch shots forever. And then they win the title. That's what I've got for the the, uh, career overview. The one thing that I do want to mention is 2016-17 misses the first 53 games with a hamstring injury that they said it tore off the bone. The doctor said it was one of the worst hamstring injuries they'd ever seen. And he's doing just fine. Dre, I don't know if you've got any thoughts on that or if you want to just dive into the stack comparison, let me know. Well, I mean, that was, that was a good little analogy or story on uh, Chris Middleton. Because, I mean, yeah. I mean, it's, like I said, I, mean, I definitely respect the story, you know, coming up from the um, from the D-League, you know, yeah. having the time there and then, you know, overcoming that and then becoming a multiple all-star and now an NBA title or now NBA right. So I think now this year, Middleton has definitely got, gotten his respect, especially being that guy who comes through and like, you know, in clutch situations and, get, and knocks down the toughest shots. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, we, we've seen it against Miami in game one when he had that game where we saw it even throughout the finals against Phoenix, that that really helped cultivate, uh, cultivate them, um, helping them. Uh, oh, yeah. that title. So, you know, definitely give a good, um, it's definitely good to see Chris Miller finally getting his praise and his appreciation for what yeah. he But having him over Clay. <laughs> I don't know about that yet. I mean, you know, obviously, I mean, shout out to the uh, Milwaukee Bucks. Like I said, just won the championship, you know, championship, but, you know, I'm going to pull a Michael Jordan and play the rings game. Three beats one. (laughs) Well, we got a lot more to debate. Why don't you, I'll I'll start off with the stack comparison. You can throw yours. All right. Here are the career numbers. 16.8 points, 4.8 rebounds, 3.6 assists, and 1.2 steals on 46% 46% shooting percentage, 39.5% free three-point percentage, 
an 87.9% free throw percentage. And at first glance, they're a little underwhelming, especially for a guy that we're debating with Clay Thompson, a guy that you remember going off for 60 more than you do 20. Now let's read off the stats from this year. It may have been the best year of his career. Some would argue that 2018-19 was, uh, or 2019-20 when uh, he should have been all NBA. But 20.4 points, 6.0 rebounds, 5.4 assists, so averaging 25 and 5 plus. 1.1 steals on 47.6% field goal percentage, 41.4% three-point percentage, and 89.8% free throw percentage. He's averaging... 25 and five on very close to 50, 49. All right. His volume has only increased from the past few years. And his efficiency just keeps getting higher. I don't understand how that fucking happens. Those are the two stats that I prepared stat lines. I've got some extras that I'll toss in here during the thing, but I want to give, I want you to give uh, Clay's stats real quick. All right, so this is from okay, so I'm not I'm not gonna name or I'm not gonna list um the stats from each year from each year of his career, but I'm gonna right. I'm gonna read the stats from 2014 to 2019. So 2014-15, yeah. the year they won the title, 21.7 points being the second option. Yeah. Then 2015-16, where we were 73 games, 22.1. 2016-17, 22.3. And we must remember he was not number one or number two. That's true. That's true. Three. So averaging 22 a game as a number three option, that, that just showed how how lethal Golden State was because yeah. that, that team was so great. Then 2017-18, kind of takes a little slack, averaged only 20 points a game. And then 2018-19, 21.5. So Clay has definitely had a consistent, you know, well, I mean, his, his averages have at, least, have at least been a little consistent even throughout, like, the changes in different circumstances per se. And the thing about him, he's a professional. You know, he always stays ready. He always, you know, looks to get the job done and just kind of go from there. Yeah. And listen, if the argument is, is Clay the better pure scorer than Middleton? Yeah, I'd probably concede that. And don't get me wrong. It's not like Middleton's not a pure scorer either. I mean, we saw some pure, I mean, Mike Breen said it best, Middleton magic. That was game five. All right. Some pure thing. But yeah, maybe... You know, being able to score, you know, if I had to bet on one of them dropping 40 in a night, it'd be clay. 60, it'd be clay. If it'd be 10 threes, it'd be clay. But you're not reading off these rebound or assist ratings. And yes, on his team, he's not relied upon for those. But Milton's never been the de facto point guard. In fact, he's the third playmaker behind Drew Holiday and uh, Giannis. And why is he rebounding? You got Giannis, who's routinely top three in the league in rebounds. So let me let I think, you know, as much as we say that Clay is the better pure shooter, pure scorer, Milton is bringing a, a value of an all around well, game. Understand, like, you have to also understand, you know, <laughs> that over the past few years for Milwaukee, has there been like anything close to like a true playmaker on that roster as far uh, as like, like the point guard position or something? Yeah, closest was Malcolm Brogdon. Okay, so you had Brogdon. Then, of course, you know, Bledsoe. Then this year you had Drew Holiday. Those guys aren't particularly playmakers per se. So yeah. it's kind of a difference when you have, especially when you have a guy that you play with your damn near your whole career, Draymond Green, who can play that point forward position and really, and really just, you know, initiate the office from there. So, you know, I could definitely give Middleton props for, you know, for being a playmaker oftentimes, but the thing about Clay is that Clay, you know, Clay, all, all Clay has to focus on is just get buckets. That's, that's really, that's really been his main focus, you know, playing alongside, you know, 
uh, other all-stars, you know, and other uh-huh. superstars, and then also just being a tenacious defender. So do you think that – I'm not saying he could do the same thing, but if he was on a team with Kevin Durant, Steph Curry, and Draymond, and he didn't have to pass as much, do you think Middleton could average 22 a game like Clay did? He's averaging 20 now. I think he can, but I mean, but you, you also got to understand, I mean, the circumstances is different now. I mean, he's really the second option behind Giannis. So having him, you know, play alongside Steph and KD, I definitely feel like, you know, with the way that the Warriors are, they're like super unselfish. Middleton can't possibly make it happen, but it's kind of tough to tell. I don't know. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Um, a couple more things that I want to just list off in um, stat comparison is uh, – 2017-18, top 20 in points in the league. 2014-15, top 20 in steals. Uh, 2015-16 and 17-18, he was top 15 in steals. And 2020-21, this past season, top 20 in assists. So top 20, like, top 20 playmakers in the league this year. Um, and then in 2019-20, like I said, arguably his best year. 15th in win shares, 18th offense, 13th defense. 12th in defensive rating, 16th in uh, box score plus minus 19th and four third and free throw percentage 11th and three point percentage. That's not like massive things. All I want to point out is that by most statistics, Chris Milton was a top 20 player in 2019, 20, and he still did not make the top. Like what, what's uh, the top 15 and the top 15 was the all NBA. So it really sucks to see him miss that out. But by all accounts, he was a top 20 player. In 2019, 20, just some few stats. I don't know if you listed out stuff like this. I clearly I spent an hour on basketball reference writing down anything I fucking found, right? <laughs> oh, good, man. You gotta come prepared. You gotta definitely come prepared. But I think this is gonna be an interesting season for Clay Thompson. Um, coming off of two major injuries. So th- so this definitely took a toll on his career. And yeah. I must say, I fucking hate the Warriors front office so fucking much yep, because yep, yep. we have been we have been waiting for Clay's uh, Clay's return, and yeah. we believe that we believe that it's going to be the sole reason to why to how we can make the postseason again. Yep. Which I which I do agree that Clay Thompson could definitely help us elevate and get to the, get to the postseason now. Right. If Clay Thompson is healthy against the Memphis Grizzlies in a playing tournament, do we make the post? Do we make the postseason? Yeah, yeah. yeah. But if we're trying to get back to that championship level. Right. Need a more. But I do I do like the drafting of Moses Moody. I like and Kuminga. I like Kuminga too a lot. I love those guys. So it'll be interesting to see how Clay and Steph and the rest of those guys mix in with the younger guys and help them and help them um get situated. Yeah. I fully agree um with that. The front office has been shit since Jerry West left. Um they let they just didn't pay Jerry West. They wanted Bob Myers wanted too much power, and then he just decided to build the best Clippers team of all time because they ran out of time. Obviously, they haven't won a title, but it's the best Clippers team of all time. Don't get it twisted. Yeah, okay. That's, that's a fact. And the thing is, yeah, that's right. The 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 team has been, I mean, last year's team was embarrassing that they that they went out and got the players they did in free agency in the draft it was embarrassing beyond uh wiseman i think he's got some talent in here i don't know if he's the long-term pick and roll partner for clay's post prime but at least it's a guy that's that has talent at center they haven't had a guy with talent at center since andrew bogut they just had guys that can play center since then guys that can play solid at center but they haven't had talent at center since andrew bogut so it's cool to You're see. You're saying Bowie was a talented center with Golden State? I'm saying uh, he was overqualified for the role he played, okay. which was just a defensive center. I mean, 
he had talent in the previous years. That's why Marcus all won a title in Toronto. Was he DPOY scoring 20 points with his back to the basket? Marcus all no, but is, was he overqualified to just be a defensive center? Yeah. It's like when the company Matambo yeah. took over for Yao Ming, uh, um, Yao, Yao Ming, um, when Yao Ming went down with an injury, dude immediately became Dikembe Mutombo again. Those guys can do it, you know. JaVale McGee is perfectly qualified for what he played in Golden State, which was a yeah. solid defensive center that can finish at the rim. That's what they asked Andrew Bogut to do, and he was supremely overqualified to do it. What you do in the NBA as a contender is that you guys that are overqualified for what they can do, because when the going gets tough, they can go back to stuff that they used to do. Now, Bogut was never, he was never asked to do the scoring because he had so much scoring, but there were days, there were games in those early years where he was asked to be the elite defensive anchor. And he did that, you know, you saw with Brooke Lopez this year too. Is he overqualified to be a three and D center? Yes. But every once in a while, he needs to be more than that. And because he's overqualified, he can drop 32 in game five against Atlanta without Giannis and get them to game six so they can win it and go to the finals. Okay. Um, so it's cool to see Wiseman. And as much as the bench sucked last year, the biggest thing is that you didn't have wings that could play. Now you got three of them. You got well, well, that's kind of debatable. I mean, we have Jordan Poole. Jordan Poole is solid. Um, he's a he's a guard though. Okay, okay, I see that. What about um Descano Anderson? He's more of a wing type. He, he plays that he plays that two guard position. He is, but JTA wasn't getting consistent minutes until the end of the season. There, everyone, I mean, Janelle Moore, shout out Janelle Moore, was always tweeting about how JTA needed more minutes and he wasn't getting them. Um, and y'all, and by the way, I know you watch more Warriors basketball than me. I'm not trying to pretend like that. And y'all had Baysmore, who was good. I'm saying you replace those dudes with Moses Moody, Jonathan Kuminga, okay. and Otto Porter Jr. Otto Porter Jr. is a great fit. We automatically elevated. Yeah. And now you've got those three guys that you can play off the bench. Your backup center is probably what? Kevon Looney still, who's a solid, solid center. And then, and then also, and then not to mention, I, I don't, I don't know if he's going to start or not, but it, it, but if we slide, if we slide Andrew Wiggins to the bench, I think that's that true. Also it depends if clay's healthy i'd probably rather have Otto porter's three and d in the starting lineup and have wiggins be the the backup creator with pool but i don't know how you feel about that but but that's tough though because you know i'm i'm, I'm trying to think of two lineups you know one is obviously you know a regular lineup and then one is a small ball lineup yeah so obviously Stephen clay in the backcourt when clay is healthy then would you put kaminga at the three and then draymond have the four and then Wiseman at the five when he's healthy or you can run a small ball lineup, have Wiggins start. Yeah. And then possibly have um, Kaminga play that five position in the small ball and obviously have Draymond as the four man. I don't I, know. It's, yeah, it's weird. I think that you can't play Wiggins and Moody together in the same small ball lineup just because they're both scoring wings. And I don't think mm. you can play Kuminga and Draymond in the same small ball lineup because they're both defensive guys that I don't think Kuminga is a big like. He's not miss layups type of guy, but it severely hampers your shooting in a small ball lineup for both of them. I think Kuminga should be treated as the heir to Draymond's role, uh, throne. Everyone thought it was going to be Ben Simmons. Everyone thought it was going to be a different player. I think Kuminga's got the physical tools to be mentored by Draymond to become a new age version. May, may, probably not the playmaking, probably not the passing, but defensively, I think he can take, uh, he's the heir to Draymond's throne there. Okay. Um. I just, I just like his size and I love his defensive like potential. Nah, I mean, he's, he's definitely a tenacious defender. And I, and I think the underrated part of this game, like, and, and if you watch the G League at night, he was a really great rim protector as well. So that's yeah, why I was yeah. playing 
that if Steve Kerr wanted to, you could run this small ball lineup and possibly have Kaminga play that five-man position just because, I mean, his, his athleticism will automatically help him have an advantage against, you know, against bigger defenders if, if he does have to play bigger guys. That's true. And I guess if you do have Stephen Clay out there, it doesn't really matter if you have two non-shooters, especially if that third guy's Otto Porter and you just have a spot-up shooter. That right. that five-man lineup's actually pretty nasty. I'd like that. I think Otto Porter's going to be, if he's healthy, which is always a question mark for Otto Porter, I think he's going to be like – the sixth man off the bench, if not the starting three for the Golden State Warriors this year. It's just crazy. Let's move on because we've already been going for a while and we got to finish this debate. Uh, the one thing that I had, and I probably should have told you to prep this, but I have his career highs written down um, in the lineup. So it's actually Chris Milton's career highs. If you put it in a style line, are pretty fucking uh, sweet. They're probably not as uh, the scoring at least isn't as sweet as clay, but 51 points, 14 rebounds, 12 assists, six steals, and two blocks. Just a nasty, nasty line. Um, I, if you want to pull up uh, Clay's, it's just B-ball ref and game highs. You can go to that pretty easy. All right. I mean, I, I'm, I'm sure I've already basically mentioned his career highs, but I mean, a lot of people don't have a 60-point game. Yeah. And also a 52-point game. But All right, so Clay had 60 points, obviously, in the 2016-17 season against the uh, Indiana Pacers. Yeah. And then his next career high is obviously the 52 against Sacramento in 2015. And then he had one in 2019, 2018-19. It doesn't say what team he played for. And, of course. But, yeah, he definitely had a 52-point game in 2019 as well. Then then it's followed by another 45-point game and a few 38-point games. So, Clay scoring is is something up there as yeah. far as like yeah. you know, one of the best. Because I mean, honestly, I mean, when you think about like superstars, you know, they like does Giannis have a sixty point game? I don't, I don't think he does. Does he? um, I it's it's later fifties, I think. I don't think it's sixty just yet. Yeah, and that's like modern Shaq. So for Clay to have one and Giannis not, that's a pretty big deal. Exactly. It's a pretty so, yeah, big I mean, deal. So- so compared to like a lot of other superstars, you know, Clay, I think Clay's average or scoring scoring outbursts is up there with like amongst the greats. Yeah, I, I fully agree. I, I, I think I think uh, with the greats in the in the era that we're playing in right now, um, the scoring is very few players can microwave like that, dude. The the badge microwave on 2K. <laughs> um, you can move on to best games. I've got some of his best games written down. I'll run through them real quick. You can run through. I mean, we've talked about Clay's, but you can also just do like the full stat line if you want. First game I'm going to mention is January 28th, 2020 versus Washington. Giannis is out for a few games with a small injury, nothing massive, but Chris is the first option and really needs to take it. This isn't a particularly great Washington team, but he still has to outduel Bradley Beal, who had like 30 something in this game. 51 points, 10 rebounds, six assists. He's still dealing it in a 51-point game on 61.5% field goal percentage, 70% three-point percentage, and doesn't miss from the line. The next game I'm going to mention, 2020 Eastern Conference Semifinals, game three. This is game – this is game three. Um – no this is game four against miami in the bubble okay where the bucks are on the verge of getting swept they eventually lose in five this game doesn't matter 
in the grand scope of the NBA, but Bucks fans remember it a lot. Giannis is out with an ankle injury, and we had lost three games, three straight to the Miami Heat, which really scarred us for a long time until this postseason happened. To keep us from getting swept on his own, being defended by the likes of Jay Crowder, Jimmy Butler, Bam Adebayo, Andre Iguodala, 36 points, eight rebounds, eight assists, two steals on 42.9% shooting, 42.9% three-point shooting, and didn't miss from the field or from the free throw line again. I got four more games for you. All of them from this year's playoff run. We're starting with game three against Brooklyn. They lost two games. They're down 0-2. They lose game three. Everyone knows you lose. There's no coming back from that. It happened the year before when they lost the third one to Miami. You couldn't let it happen again. They just lost by 45 in the last game. Morale is low. Middleton drops 35 points, 15 rebounds on 48% shooting, 50% three-point shooting, 90% free free throw. Next game is game six of this series. Another brutal loss the game before where Kevin Durant by himself beats the Milwaukee Bucks to go up 3-2. 38 points, 10 rebounds, five assists, five steals. And I got a stat for you on this one. Uh oh. Shout out Stat Muse. Game three of Atlanta Bucks. Series is tied one to one. The game is in, in Atlanta. So uh, the uh, place that Chris Milton is historically worse on the road. 38 points, 11 rebounds, seven assists. And he has six threes in that game. It's the second ever Bucks player that's had 30, 10, 5, and 5 threes in a playoff game. The first time was Chris Middleton. And then, <laughs> that may have been his best game in the, in, the, in the playoffs, but you have to mention the game in the finals. 2021 finals, game four. 40 points, six rebounds, four assists, Two steals. Shot great from the field. Chris, let me, let me say this one time. Chris, James Christian Middleton, which is his full name, the 39th overall pick, the D-League player, the most underrated player in the league for every year until he got a $35 million contract a few years back, had a 40-point game in the finals. And those are my submissions for the best games of Chris Middleton's career. Please, I'd love to hear about game six against the Thunder for the third time this podcast. Please tell it. Oh, man. I mean, I, <laughs> I've already I already explained it in my little, you know, yep. my little debate earlier, you know, I mean, Clay. I mean, look, Chris Middleton, Chris Middleton has great games. Let's not even argue with it. Chris Middleton is terrific. He is a fantastic go-to guy down the stretch. Yep. In fourth quarters. Let's not even argue it. But are they more remembered than OKC game six? Will they be <laughs> more legendary than the OKC game six? Giannis, I mean, look, Milwaukee was down 2-0. They were down yeah. 2-0. Definitely were. So you got to give them props. But 2-0 is not 3-1. 2-0 sure. is not 3-1. On the brink of elimination. You're right. You're right. You're you, right. Are, you are the best team but you you basically you basically just eclipsed the Chicago Bulls as the best record in NBA history. Uh-huh. Championship is on the line. Which, by the way, let me just say this: I I honestly hated that they did break that record. You know why? Because 
if you watch them towards the regular season, they were trying so hard for that record. Yeah. And it just seemed like they didn't really have their focus all in the playoffs. So as you as you agree. Steph got hurt, you know, and a few other guys got hurt as well. So it, it was just a bad year. I remember one game particularly when they were beating, I think it was the Pacers, and they were winning by a lot. So they pulled the starters and mm-hmm. they pulled them too early and Indiana started coming back. So they were forced to put Clay back in to try and win the game. And Clay fucked right. up his knee that game. That was the one specific memory that I have of Golden State caring more about the streak than they did about preserving players for the for the playoffs. Exactly. And not not, not even to mention, like even like the last game that they played against Memphis, like there was no reason for these guys to play. I mean, right. I, I get it, you know, say we want to get the 73rd win, but right. we already know we're making the playoffs. We already know we have the best record. So yep. If we were to tie the um, the Bulls as the best record, I would have been fine with that as well. Who cares? So, you know, obviously Clay has this most important game. You know, we end up winning game five, and then we go. We have to go back to OKC for game six. And if you know, OKC is one of the craziest fan bases, one of the loudest arenas. So to play and deliver in that type of hostile crowd is just yeah. Yeah. incredible. So yeah. Definitely, you know, when you think about the Warriors dynasty, you know, all the years where they were dominant, that's probably one of the games that definitely come to mind when you talk about, like, you know, playoff performances. I agree. And even if you don't think about it as often as you should if you're a Warriors fan, that might be the most memorable game of the OKC dynasty that never happened. That is the game that essentially – because if they win – you know, if OKC wins that series – I'm not saying they beat LeBron's Cavs. I mean, LeBron's Cavs came back from 3-1 against the best team of all time or what so people say, best record of all time. You know what I'm saying? So I'm not saying they would have beat them. But if they make the finals again, KD probably doesn't leave. You know, who knows? It doesn't matter. But that game, that series severely impacted. I mean, that game from Clay was probably what got fucking KD to come over. You know what I'm saying? He joins the, the he joins them like months after. After Clay Thompson completely... Uh, breaks every heart in Oklahoma City. Kevin Durant breaks it even harder a few months later. That shit was fucked up. One last thing, in terms of clutchness, and again, won't be remembered as much as, and that's why I included the last category that we'll get to in a little bit. But in terms of the clutch factor, the situational playing, Milton had 18 points on 75% shooting in the clutch in the finals, the most by any player. The next closest player in terms of clutch points in the finals had four points. He quadrupled that even more with him. And he led the entire playoffs in clutch points alone. I'm not saying he's the clutchest player of all time. I'm not even saying that that as an old catch-all set is clutcher than 60 in game six against the, the Thunder where he goes completely fucking bananas. I'm saying not a lot of players have scored the most clutch points in the playoffs. It's one per year, you know? probably LeBron every fucking year, at least when he was in Cleveland and Miami and Chris Middleton forever will have led one playoffs in clutch play uh, in clutch scoring and have won the finals that year as well. It's not like he led the playoffs in clutch scoring and they lost in the finals or lost in the conference finals. And he was just good enough that they had that stat held. They did that and they won and they won very much in part by his clutch shooting in those games. It was, and it's never going to be talked about to the level. And I think I'm okay with that, but it is one of the more remarkable things to think about that Chris Middleton did. I agree. I definitely agree. And it's like, I keep saying, I've probably said this like probably for like 15 times. 
respect Chris Middleton, respect everything that he has done, and he's not done yet. And neither is Clay Thompson. Clay Thompson has a lot he's to not, prove this yes. year. Clay Thompson has a lot to prove this year. He's going to definitely come in with a chip on his shoulder, and we'll just have to see where Golden State goes from there. Yes, let's put it out there right now. Clay Thompson will never play back-to-backs again in his career, but he will not deal with like an injury that he did in the past two years. Let's just say right now he won't because that's the last thing we fucking want. Let's move on to accolades. Now we have two options for accolades. Well, actually, let's move on to playoff success. So we know the 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 you know that they've won titles and all that stuff. I all I really did was write down um, his career playoff statistics and his statistics the one year that he won. So I'm going to read that off real quick. In the playoffs for his career, he's averaging 20.2 points more than his career regular season, 6.3 rebounds more than his regular career, 4.6 assists, which is higher than his career, 1.3 steals, which is higher than his regular season career, on 43.6 shooting, 39.0 shooting, basically 40% from the three, and 86.1 free throw percent shooting. All of his stats go up. His efficiency takes a little hit, but they're all still at elite levels. And then this year in the playoffs, when they won the ring, 23.6 points, 7.6 rebounds, 5.1 assists, 1.5 steals. That's 23, 7, and 5 on 43.8% shooting, 34.3% from three, and 88.7%. The playoff clutch shooting that I mentioned in the last segment also applies here. That's part of his playoff success. One ring, two Eastern Conference Finals visits. I know Clay's got him beat there. I want to hear the rest of it, too. That's cute. (laughs) Kidding. But, all right, it's time to get into Clay's playoff stats. So, obviously – we're going to go into the beginning this time, 2012-2013, when the Baby Warriors go up against the Denver Nuggets. Obviously, you know, this is Clay's first year in the playoffs. He averages 15.2 points. But then the following year, when they played the Clippers in the first round, he averaged 16.4. 2015, I, I honestly thought that he averaged a little bit more in 2015, in the year that we won a championship, but he only averaged 18.6. Mm-hmm. Then, of course, 2016, you know, Steph, Steph missed a good amount of time. And then also, then also when Steph came back, he was – um, coming off the bench as well. So he averaged, yep. so Clay, Clay averaged 24.3 points, which is his career high in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Then 2016, 17, he kind of doing those down goals to 15, but obviously, you know, KD, right. Clay, for carrying the load. 2017, 18, 19.6. So he definitely elevates. And then 2018, 19, he averages 20.7. So he has a career at 19.3 points per game score in the yep. playoffs. He's shooting 84% from the free throw line, 41% from three, and 44% from the field. Yeah. Uh, uh, it's, um, it's important. And I think it's cool, obviously in the grand scope of things, Steph being out for that time in the playoffs was nerve wracking and you guys would have preferred that he were healthy, but it showed that clay could step up to the plate and score more. If he had to 24 points is higher than Chris's high in the playoffs, which is 23.6. It's close, but it's not as high. And that's just the one year that they were like, Hey, clay, you need to score more. So it is important to, to note that. And it's really interesting. And I, we're getting to a point that when we get to the verdict, you guys are going to understand uh, the listing of all these differences in their roles. I think when we get to that verdict, and what, what do we got for Clay? Three rings, three rings, three rings. Um, 
I didn't I didn't see if he had any player of the weeks or anything, but we definitely know that the three rings stand out the most. Yeah. Out of all of his accolades, obviously multiple all-stars. He's been in the all-star game for a few years. Yep. By the way, people were kind of killing me because I think he made the I think it was 2018 when he made the all-star game. Yeah. And people were saying that oh he wasn't deserving. And I'm like, what the fuck are y'all talking yeah. about? Like seriously. I mean, I mean, I mean, I get it. You know, you do have Steph and you have KD, yeah. but Clay was averaging around 20 points a game that season, so I don't see why he doesn't make it. But, right. Know. I mean, Clay Thompson is the only reason Kyle Korver has a fucking all-star game to his name. So, I mean, uh, you know, just give him to the shooters. But speaking of accolades, this is not going to be as extensive as Clay's. Clay has been to more all-star games, more all-NBA games. Uh, I think he's got a couple of three-point contests to his name. But this is what I've got for Middleton. For a guy of his caliber, it is fun. He's the first second round pick to score 40 plus points in the finals. He's the first G League alum to make an all-star game. And he's got two of those. He's an NBA champion. He's an Olympic gold medalist. He's the scored the second most points in the playoffs this year by a non-first round pick. So all time scored in one playoff run, the second most points by a, by a non-pick. And he was only 10 points away from the number one guy who was Moses Malone. Who's a monster? And you know who's third? Who he passed in this playoffs? Ginobili. Ginobili, wow. Yeah. He be, he passed Ginobili. Second and made threes on the Bucks all time. He's eleven threes away from Ray Allen, so he's going to have that by the end of his career. He's eighth all time in assists for the Bucks and sixth in steals. He's going to have his jersey retired. And that's hey, what I've question? got. That's what I've got. Now let me hear Clay's because I know it's 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 a bit longer. All right, so I got a three-time NBA champion, five-time NBA All-Star, yep. two-time All-NBA third team, yep. one-time All-Defensive third team, yep. an NBA three-point champion, an All-Rookie first team in 2012. And that's it. I thought it was a little bit more, but, you know, I mean, not, not a bad resume. No, yeah. I mean, if you, if you had gone as deep as I did with some of these bullshit stats, you would have had far more things to do. I'm sure he's the first one to score 40-plus with a minimum of however many dribbles if we found that fucking ESPN oh, yeah. stat that they always do. But, yeah, it's extensive. Clay's got, Clay's got shit. We always talk about Middleton's defense and how it's always been good, but Clay does have an all-defensive thing to his name. All NBA, Clay's got two. Chris should have one, but in five years, no one's going to remember that Chris Milton should be an All NBA guy. So it doesn't matter. At the end of the day, if it's not listed, it don't matter. And that's what we got for accolades. Let's do closing statements, um, and then we'll talk about like what we think about at the end of this debate. You know, what are your final thoughts on Chris Middleton versus Clay Thompson? Closing closing statements. Um... Kind of like what I said earlier, you know, Clay Thompson, I don't think he gets the proper respect mm-hmm. that he gets just because, you know, he's never really been a number one option throughout the course of his career. Right. So that's, so that's why that's why I always try to tell people, like, just picture Clay Thompson on a roster where he is the number one option. And he's right. the low throughout the entire season. Yeah. Do they win a championship? That is debatable. Sure. But you can guarantee that that team can definitely become a playoff contender just because Clay brings so much versatility from being able to be an elite scorer to being an elite wing defender. You know, Clay goes after it every single night. He gives you 100%, and that's something that we should always, always appreciate. And on Chris Middleton's side, we saw it. We've seen it this past year in the postseason, particularly in the, in the NBA Finals. When you need him, he, he'll, he'll deliver. 
that, that is one thing that I do respect about Chris Middleton. And Milwaukee is definitely going to be a team to beat within these next few years. I can definitely see them winning another championship. I don't know if it's this upcoming year or within the next few mm-hmm. years, but I think it'll happen. I agree. I think my closing thoughts and like sort of like the verdict of this conversation, I guess, is that Chris Middleton and Clay Thompson are actually maybe not cut from the same cloth, but they're very, very similar players. You know, they're, they're, they're happy to defer to their stars. They shoot, their efficiency has always been fantastic. Their advanced metrics, when advanced metrics were still coming out, the names that were always Clay Thompson and Chris Middleton, a lot of those dudes were always mentioned. Both play defense that goes unnoticed because of how well they score. And unlike other stars that have the talent that they have, they're on the low key side, you know? Clay can get fired up on the court a little bit more than Chris does, but how much of Clay's personal life do we hear about? Pretty much none. He doesn't post a ton offline or online either. Chris Milton's the exact same way. These are very similar guys. And I think they're each in roles that we've always wanted to see the other one. You've mentioned it several times this pod. We've always wanted to see Clay on his own team. You know, Uh, uh, if if Daryl Morey had traded for Clay Thompson instead of James Harden, what would that have looked like if James, if Clay Thompson was in the James Harden role, you know, we will, we we'll have, we'll never know, but I always wanted to see it. And at this point, I hope we never see it. I hope he's a warrior for life, but, and with Middleton contenders and, and good teams, the Hawks and the, and the Mavericks were always calling a trade, trying to trade for Chris Middleton back in the day before his all-stars, everyone wanted to make him this ultra efficient, guy that sat next to the stars and was able to get up buckets when they needed them in the clay thompson role essentially which i if that sounded condescending it's not it's a great role to be and it won three titles for clay thompson we've always kind of wanted to see chris milton in that role too but he's always been on a team that needed him to do more than we thought he could do and eventually he just learned how to do it so the point is that they're completely different roles that they're in and it is impossible to compare them like this you know it's easier to compare Steph and Dame because they're both the sons of their solar system on their respective teams and they're asked to do a lot of the same things and through that easy comparison you can see that Steph is far better than Damian Lillard far better but with Chris oh my god I am so happy you said that because <laughs> I don't I don't know if you remember I mean I, I know we're kind of getting off topic here no but do I don't it know please this was like Early this past season, um, Steph Curry and Damian Lillard faced off. It, it, it was it was like a weekend back to back. So the Warriors and Blazers played on Friday and a Sunday. The Blazers won that Friday night. Yeah, that entire Saturday. Oh my God, people were flooding me on Twitter. Dame is better than Steph. Dame is better than Steph. Dame is better than Steph. And I was telling people, Dame is not better than Steph. And it's not even close. And then guess what happens the next day? Steph drops sixty two points. Right. I, something that people don't talk about as much, even though people talk about it a little bit, is that Steph, everyone knows that Steph reads media stuff because the day after people say some shit about him, he goes crazy. And this yep. year, because everyone was talking shit last year, Steph was like, all right, I'll show up this year and I'll be the scoring title. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll average 32 again at 31, you fucks. I'll do it again. It doesn't matter, you know? And, here, and it's the same thing. That's why I, it gets so weird when people compare Anthony Davis and Giannis They play very different roles. Anthony Davis is, I mean, and I know this is used derogatively. I don't mean it derogatively, but Anthony Davis is is Robin. I mean, LeBron James is Batman. Not that Anthony 
Anthony Davis is asked to score. In my opinion, not to put you off, I do believe that Anthony Davis will be will be um, Batman this year. Oh, Just okay. That that's that's a that's a take. I like it. Mark that yes. one down, guys. Do that. But in years past, it's been LeBron. And he's yes. had to be, you know, and it's not that he's like the best scorer or the best defender LeBron is, but LeBron was the top dog of that team. And Anthony Davis was that. So it's hard to compare because Giannis has the ball far more than Anthony Davis and they have similar roles on defense. Now, when we see Anthony Davis be Bam in this year, we're going to see that. Yes, he's one of the, the, the six or seven best players in this league. And he's like the, the one of the best power forwards in this game. And then we're going to be able to compare him like Steph and Dame with Giannis and Anthony Davis. And then we'll see finally the truth. The Giannis is far better than Anthony Davis. <laughs> That's a take right there as well. I know it's a take. And I don't mean far better as shit, but I think it's closer to Stephen Dame's dynamic than it is fucking, you know, it is Giannis and, and Anthony Davis. When it's all said and done, this is a take, but when it's all said and done, it's going to be Shaq versus David Robinson. Well, let me well, let me say this. Um, considering that Giannis is coming off of a Finals MVP, he's better than everybody. KD, LeBron, you name it. Yeah. At the end of the day, he is the man. So, at the end of the day, you've got to beat the man in order to get that respect. If you've had enough conversations like you have, I'm sure about Steph Curry, you know how much people care about a Finals MVP on your resume. People oh, yeah. care about it a oh, lot. Oh my God! Don't and- even give me started on that oh my and, god and with steph it doesn't matter i'll say it right here right now it doesn't matter the andre Iguodala thing was dumb and it will forever be dumb uh, someone on twitter said it. i can't remember so i can't credit them fucking sue me i don't care someone said uh and i agree with this giving the finals mvp to Iguodala was a way to give it to lebron without giving it to lebron you know and that's always going to be some fuck shit steph should have had it um, I don't think I don't disagree with giving it to KD when he was there. KD was the, the guy, and he was also guarding LeBron on the other I end. I think I think Steph should have definitely won it in 2018. Okay, okay, just because just because I feel like he was the more dominant. I think the reason why KD won it was because that game three, Steph played terrible, and KD yeah. that was arguably actually no, I'm not gonna say it's the best game, but it was definitely the second game, best game behind that game one. And KD obviously hit that deep three pointer. Basically recreating what he did the year before in 2017, yep. and he dropped 43 points that night as well. So I feel like that was the reason why sure. KD won it over Steph. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, Steph should have at least one. We all know it. It's fine. Um, although they don't like to give him the guards very much anymore, so that could have been the same thing too. I mean, who was the last guard? Let's see. So we had Giannis. The year before that was LeBron. He's not a guard. The year before that was Kawhi. Year before the last two, then LeBron, and then then Iguodala, and then uh, Kawhi again, again, and then LeBron, and then LeBron, and then Dirk Nowitzki. Kobe Bryant was the last one then. Yes, and Kobe in today's game probably would have been played at the three just because of his height and his build, but he was a shooting guard back then. And and even then, when's the last fucking point guard to win it? I mean, it's got to be. I mean, Chauncey probably was it Chauncey? Oh four. No, 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 it was it was Tony Parker in 07. Ah, dude, I fucking love Tony Parker. God, terrible, terrible dude to hang out with off the court, but that dude could score like fucking crazy. Uh, we're getting off topic. Let's start wrapping this up. Do you want to cover that last question that we had before we wrap it up? The uh, what would you do, the five-star recruit? Or would you... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, all right. Um, the question was, I'll pull it up real quick. Uh, I'm going to do a lot of cuts in this episode, I think. (laughs) 
if you're a five-star recruit, which route are you taking? College, G League, Team Ignite, the NBL, or the overtime, overtime Elite League? For you casuals out there, the NBL is the National Basketball League located in Australia, considered one of the best leagues in the world, although it is weird to me not seeing uh, the Spanish league that Real Madrid, that produced uh, Luka Doncic. I think that league is technically better than the NBL, I think. I'm pretty sure it is. Um, but I probably would have included that over the overtime elite league. Anyways, uh, we're not going to say who won the poll until we debate it. Who, what would you do? If you're, you're a five-star recruit right now, what would you do? Well, you know, I'm going to I'm gonna picture myself or I'm going to place myself in a, um, a six, 15, 60, 70-year-old body. And I am hoping that I have the right people around me that can help guide me in the right direction. So I know a lot of people will say college just because, you know, if you grew up a basketball, a lover of basketball, and, you know, you had aspirations of being like, you know, a top, a top dog, you know, a top NBA player, et cetera, et cetera. You have watched the Dukes, you have watched the North Carolinas, you have watched the Gonzagas, the UCLA's, et cetera. You have watched March Madness for numerous years. And you have pictured yourself and been like, damn, one day I want to be in that type of atmosphere. So I understand it from that perspective. But let's also not forget, there are people, there there are basketball players out there. Not Hoopers. um, Yeah, not Hoopers. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just playing. (laughs) There are basketball players out there who are not necessarily financially stable as many others can be. Right, right. So... You know, sometimes going to college can be a risk because, you know, at the end of the day, you know, well, at the time, you know, in the past, you weren't really being able to make a profit off your name. Now, the NCAA has made that to the point where you can do that. Yeah. But now they have this program or I don't know, program or league called Overtime Elite. Mm -hmm. So now when you're 15, 16, 17, you can can practically become a professional early Mm -hmm. and not to mention get paid off of it. So. Me personally, if I am in that situation and I'm looking at it, you know, looking at the options that I have as a 15, 16, 17 year old kid, even though, even though we haven't really seen where the overtime elite um, league can go. Yeah. I mean, I don't even think they played a game yet, honestly, right. but so we don't really know like what direction it's going to go, but I would probably take that route in a heartbeat just because here, here's the thing you have to understand because now we're at a timeline. You join the overtime elite. Yeah. League, you know, you, you 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 continue to create a name for yourself, not to mention that you're you're building income as well. You're investing mm-hmm. money as well. Mm-hmm. Then once you turn 18 and above, go join the G League Ignite. Right. Not to mention you could still, I want to say their salary is like 500 k a year. Yep. Not to mention, not to mention you still you, yeah, not to mention you still go to college as well. Right. I think, I, I want to say it's online college, but who cares at the end of the day? Right. You know, it's still an education. Right. So now you invested your money at Overtime Elite. Now you go over to the G League Ignite. You yeah. invest you invest money there. And then, you know, you, you do what you have to do. You know, you play against professionals. You basically, you basically go into the G League Ignite. You get to play You get to play professional once again early, you know, going up against NBA guys, who, by the way, yeah. for, people who love, who, for people who love to disrespect the G League, let us all understand that, that the G League is definitely professional and there are players who are capable of playing the NBA. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah opportunity so now you get that then you go over to the nba hopefully right. you got that into the nba you go from there so basically basically you're you're beneficial both as a star and as 
a person who's trying to grow financially. So basically, you know, you don't have to go into the NBA waiting for your first check. I don't even know when they get their first check or receive their first check whatsoever. So basically, you know, you can start from when you're 15, 16 years old, continue to build a name for yourself and also grow as far as profit, then transition to the G League at night and then go over to the NBA. So like I said, I mean, it's kind of like I said earlier, I mean, college is definitely a route that people love, that players love to go through. Yeah. You know, we, we definitely saw, shout out to Imani Bates, he just committed to uh, Memphis, shout out to uh, a lot of other guys as well who just committed. Yeah. But, you know, sometimes, you know, sometimes money does also have to come into this as well. I'm not saying yeah. always chase, I'm not saying always chase money, but at the end of the day, right. it's, always, it's always nice to have a little profit there. Yeah, I agree. And that's like the best thing about the G League Ignite. It's the best of both worlds. You get paid um, and you can help out your family. And at the same time, you're getting mentorship from previous NBA players on your coaching staff. You have, you're playing against NBA players in the G League. Don't get it fucking twisted. Everyone in the G League was still their high school team's best player. Okay. Like exactly. easily, you know, those dudes can start all four star, five star recruits at right. one point as well. Not to mention like this past year, we, we just saw guys like Kevin Porter Jr. In the G league. We saw guys yeah. like Poku in the G league. Christian and Wood. And Christian Wood as well. And now they've transitioned into the, we just talked about Chris Middleton yeah. being in the D league. Exactly. Now exactly. look, we transition. Chris Middleton is a champion. Chris or yeah. Chris Middleton is a champion. Christian Wood is an all-star. Kevin JTA Porter. was a G league guy. JT, JTA as well, shout out to JTA. So now they go into the NBA and they're producing at a very high level. So people yeah. have to start disrespecting the G League as if these are just, you know, ordinary guys who are just not good at basketball. Right. I mean, good. everyone has jokes to say about Hassan Whiteside, but that dude was in the G League for like three years and he's carved out like an eight-year career in the NBA. You know how hard that is to do? That's so crazy. Very hard. Yeah. And so you're playing against G League guys that could play in the NBA. And, and these aren't guys that are taking it easy on you because they're kids. These are guys that are upset because they're making like 50 to 70 K in the G league for several years playing against 17 year olds who are getting paid a hundred to $500,000 to pay. They're jealous. They're envious. They're pissed off. They're going to take it to you every single game. And that is going to prepare you. That's why the G league ignite is the best of both worlds. And I think if you are like a legit basketball player prospect, that's the best way to go. Me personally, I wasn't wealthy growing up, but I still had like a de- like a good amount of privilege. Like I never had to worry about my heat. I never had to worry about like food. I, you know, I, I did hand-me-downs and stuff like that, but I didn't have to worry about, you know, food. And a lot of people do. A lot of people have to worry about heat. So that lifestyle, I think not having had to worry about that stuff as much, I wouldn't have to worry about the money in this situation. And I'd probably go the college route just because, being a D1 celebrity on a college campus, a state college campus, no less, uh, is probably one of the more unique experiences in the world of like quick celebrity status. And I would have loved to experience that. And that that's true. That's why me personally, who I am, how I grew up, how my brain works, that's why I would go the college route. But I fully agree that if you are a five-star recruit basketball-wise and your goal is to go to the NBA, the G League Ignite is the best route to go. Definitely. I mean, and, and it means like, like I said earlier, I mean, these, these kids, they dream, you know, watching Duke, UCLA, all these big time college programs being in March Madness every single year. So you picture yourself as a kid being, Hey, I want to be in that type of atmosphere one yeah. day. So the G League Ignite, they're going into the second season. So they're still relatively a young organization. So we don't know exactly what their future will hold, but you have to remember from a basketball standpoint, you know, cause I mean, a lot of people will say, Oh, going to college, you'll get, you'll get more uh, recognition. 
Yeah. Not necessarily true. I mean, we just watched Jonathan Camingo going go number seven. We saw Jalen Green two. go number two. And he went over Jalen Suggs, who was who was coming off of an NCAA tournament or, or, or NCAA championship appearance. Yeah. Yeah. Not to mention he hit the game winning shot yeah. in the final four. Yeah. Four years ago, so, that gets you the number one pick in the draft. Exactly. So now so now you're looking at, at that situation. Cause at the end of the day, the NBA scouts, they're gonna look at whoever they want to look at. It doesn't matter yeah. where you're playing yet. You you could be playing in the NBA overseas. You know yeah. what I'm saying? So it doesn't yeah. it doesn't matter exactly where you're at, what atmosphere you are right. in. If you are good. If you are a great player, they will find you. Yeah, it's so cool. Um, I love it. G League, the Ignite proved in year one. In year one, that you can be a top five pick, and they had two top ten picks. I didn't think that was going to happen at all, honestly. Even Jalen Green wasn't even a fucking perfect player this year. He didn't look perfect. It, it, it took him like nope. three months to even get started, let alone look good. And he was the number two pick in the draft. And you know what? It looks like he might have been the right pick. I'm still a Mobley guy just because I've always prioritized defense and I love big men that can switch. I think it's one of the most important positions in this game. But oh, yeah. Jalen Green very easily will could turn out to be the right pick at number two. Yeah, honestly, I mean, I think I think I think Houston, like now just think about it because I originally picked Jalen Suggs to be the number two pick just because I was like, you know, a Cade and Cade and Jalen Suggs are by far the number two or top two picks, yeah. you know, to make. But then, you know, going to a bigger guy in Jalen Green, yeah. who is an offensive weapon, yeah, definitely takes him to a whole nother level. So, like, so like I said, I mean, G League Ignite, you know, we just saw the first year, you know, we saw somebody top two in the draft, and then we had another guy who went top ten. So, I definitely love the direction that they're going. I know, yeah. I know, it's, I know they're only going into year two, but you know, does just give them a little bit more time and a little bit more momentum. I think they, I think they can make something happen. Yeah, it's it's very cool. Big fan of the G League Ignite and excited to see what they do this year. By the way, don't want to disclude anyone. Isaiah Todd was drafted in the second round as well. I think like number yeah. like, it was like number 31, basically a first round pick. Big shouts mm-hmm. to him as well. That's about it for us at No Bucks Given. Give Nick Andre a follow at Twitter. That's at Nick Andre ATR on Twitter. Go follow us at underscore no bucks given. Well, you retweeted a bunch of Nick Andre shit. So check out his uh, Forgotten Players series and the, the, the Roses series and the uh, article that we retweeted today. Three possible trade destinations for John Wall by Brandon. Big shouts to Brandon. One last shout out that I want to give before we wrap this up. Nicholas Henkel, uh, a Detroit Pistons um, known, I guess, signed a deal with Wave TV to promote uh, basketball stuff for them. And I don't know how much it pays but he gets to make basketball videos for a living and they moved him to LA for it. And that's genuinely like my dream. So big shouts to Nicholas Ankle, who made like three YouTube videos before getting picked up by a multimedia company. Uh, that's so cool. It's one of the coolest things I've heard. That man is an inspiration for all of us blog boys. I, that's, that's the success that you want to have in this industry. So big shouts to Nick Henkel. wishing the best for him. Dre, thank you for coming on, bro. No problem, man. Definitely a good episode. Yes, it was. We'll catch you guys next time when we debate about something else because nothing's happening in the NBA. Bye-bye. Deuces.